Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. People say, I want to build a great business. And I was like, you could not build a great business. You could build a great team. And the team will build a great business. And then for you to build a great team, you have to be a better leader or a great leader. So I divide in leader, team, and company, right? And then I believe there's four stages in the growth. And that's why people like this, get the slides. Because there's like a startup, grow up, scale up, then you dominate your industry. So I give you 12 tools per stage, four for you, four for your team, four for your company, on when to do it. As an example, my book, I recommend 48 tools, 12 per stage. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest, a returning guest. My main man, Daniel Marcos, is in the house. How are you, sir? Great to be here. Thank you very much. Daniel is a co-founder and CEO of the Growth Institute, which is a leading online executive education company. I love the Growth Institute. Uh, serves CEOs, C-level executives of fast-growing companies. You're a keynote speaker uh, and you're a CEO coach. And you have an aim to help 1 million entrepreneurs scale their impact and reduce drama in their business. We're going to be talking a bit about that. Um, we're also going to be talking about your your new book that's coming out uh, this fall, Impact X, how the best CEOs have te- uh, have 10x the impact with half the drama. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that, man. So I'd love to kind of jump. So you're in Mexico, like you grew up in Mexico. Um, did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? I know, you know it's interesting because there's a lot of entrepreneurism in Mexico, but did, was that part of your upbringing? What was your upbringing like there? So all my cousins, uncles, they're all entrepreneurs. So we are Lebanese originally. Um, so on my father's side, we come from Palestine. A uh, long time ago, my grandfather was already born in Mexico, but my great-grandfather was uh, from Palestine. And then on my mother's side, we're from Greece. Um, so my last, my, my mother made a name is Hajopoulos. So I'm, I'm as Greek as you could be. Um, indeed all our celebrations, we eat Greek food. Wait, so, so, so you're half Lebanese and, and half Greek, yeah. and, but, 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 but it, your family immigrated to Mexico. That's correct. Is Marcos, is that Lebanese? Marcos Lebanese. Oh, no, I had no yeah. idea, man. Yeah. No way. 
So, so interesting story. My father took my grandfather uh, for the last time when he was like 95 and said, hey, you're getting really old. This is the last time you're going to go to the Middle East. I want to take you. By the way, I've never been ever in my life. Wow. I've been to, to that area. Um, but my father took my, my father-in-law, sorry, my grandfather. And he got to the hotel, opened the white pages, and looked for Marcos. And he was expecting to get a lot of Marcos, right? There was just one guy. So my father called and said, hey, we're Marcos. We're from Mexico. We'd like to invite you to dinner. And the guy said, no, no, no. Come home. We'll cook here. My wife will cook for you. We're family, whatever. So he, they went to have dinner with this guy. No way. Uh, my father asked him, hey, what about Marcos? We thought we're from here and that there were thousands of us here. And he said, everyone emigrated to Mexico. <laughs> Wait, was there like a big, what year did they all immigrate to Mexico? 1850s or so. Oh, okay. So uh, this was, this was uh, so in the 18th my, century. My, my grandfather was born 1910 and he was already born in Mexico. Wow. Okay. So, the, so there was a huge immigration to Mexico then. But did that have anything to do with like the Spanish or anything like that? Because you know what? There... I really don't know my history, so I I cannot tell you for sure. Um, but there was a, a big immigration of Lebanese and Arab people to Mexico, and we're all entrepreneurs. We don't have uh, you couldn't get jobs and stuff, so we're all entrepreneurs. All my family's entrepreneurs, except my father. So my father. By the way, my, son, my father studied economics in Mexico. And one day I asked him, he said, hey, why do you study economics? And he was, I wanted to go into business, but that was the closest thing to business. There was no business school. There was no anything. It was economics. And he went through economics in Monterey Tech, that it's a pretty good university. And he, there was a visiting professor from Notre Dame. They used to fly to teach in Monterey Tech. And my father met him. The guy really liked my father and said, hey, why don't I take you to Notre Dame and you could get a PhD? And I felt like, what is that? Like he even had no idea what it was. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring you to Notre Dame. No so way. my father went to Notre Dame and got a PhD in economics. Wow. And imagine in the seventies in Mexico, having a PhD in economics from Notre Dame, you had two jobs or you were a professor or you work at government. Right. And my father went into government and worked for government for 30 years. And was this in uh, Mexico City? Yeah, Mexico City. That's why we moved to Mexico City. What part of, what part of Mexico City did you live in? So I was on the west, uh, okay. Coloma, Santa Fe, Polanco um, area. Okay. And my father worked for government all my upstream. Uh, my, my father resigned to government when he was 50. And at 50, became an entrepreneur. And then oh, no did way. some businesses. What type of business did he start at 50? So, so the last job that my father had, was in Pemex, the Mexican oil company. Right. And there was, it, it has its own way of doing a very complicated operation. So a lot of foreign companies, Pemex was opening up to deal with foreign companies and do uh, association contracts and stuff. And my father opened a consulting business to help public American companies deal with Mexican government. And he's been doing that for 27 years. Oh, that's so cool, man. So you were brought up around, obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs. Your father ended up being one, which means it's just one of those things that's in the blood. I, I also think that it, from there up, you know, the Middle East, the, the entrepreneurism is such a big deal. It, I mean, all over the world, it's a big deal. But I do think that there's a part of the, the Middle East and these areas where around the Mediterranean where there was a lot of trade. That yeah, seems right. to create a lot of entrepreneurism, well, too. My, my cousins and uncles, they had shirts factories, uh, hotels restaurants 
like whatever you can do to get money and don't like not that we didn't want to get a job because we were immigrants we got no job so we had to create business yeah yeah it's same with me right my dad was you know immigrated from the united states from iran so i grew up watching entrepreneurs like that was just like oh like and, and it was funny, as in a, the first time I realized it was different was when I was an adult, and I was like, "How many of my friends' parents were all entrepreneurs?" And none of my, a lot of my friends were not; they were not immigrants. Yeah, none of them were entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it. Right? It, it yeah. didn't seem weird to me. But all and all my dad's friends who were all immigrants, liquor store, gas station, real estate, every <laughs> single one of them, man. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So we were the entrepreneurs in Mexico because there was no other option. Wow. And so is it, do you have any siblings or is it just yourself? So we're four, uh, an older brother, uh, three years older than me, uh, that he recently passed. He had a heart failure three years ago. I'm sorry, man. Um, just out of the blue was, was really hard for the family. Yeah. Then my parents had the two of us and they said, enough, we, we don't know how we're going to do in life and these kind of things. And then when my mom was 38, they had, they had us very, very young. So when she was 38, I left home and I went to college and my mom went to my dad and she was depressed. Like, I don't have more kids and I'm 38. I want to have more kids. Oh, no way. So they had two more. So I have a, I have a 33 year old sister, a 30 year old brother. No way, man. So you got, <laughs> so you got, you got, so your parents like just went, they're like, all right, let's have more kids. <laughs> so, and, and they, they, like they were very late. Um, yeah, uh, and then both my brothers live in Los Angeles. Okay, and my youngest brother is in the movie industry and works for Gaumont that okay. produced Narcos. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and so, um, when did you, you know, you came to the United States? You said what 18 years ago? I came 2004. So, I built my first company in Mexico, uh, 1998. I built the first fintech or financial technology company in the country. Wow, 1998. That was when the internet was starting, and and I was I was the first one to put financial news and stock quotes of the Mexican market online. Wow. Okay. Uh, 1998. What, so was the, what was the name of that business? It was called Finanzas Web. Finanzas Web. Finanzas like finance web, like the internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And it was a huge success. Um, we grew really, really fast. Uh, and then I got a call from a competitor of mine in Argentina that, of course, he was in Argentina. He was not my competitor in Mexico. And he called me one day and he said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of raising a really, really big round, like a $50 million round. Do you want to be against me or with me? Wow. And I was like, what's the price? And he said, fly to Argentina. Let's have a dinner. So that night I flew to Argentina. Next morning, three hours after I landed, we had signed the contract. Um, he acquired my company wow. and he acquired a Brazilian company at the same time. And now we went, and this is, the, let me tell you the backstory because it was interesting. He has gone to New York to JP Morgan and raised money. And JP Morgan said, we really like your story, but you are in Argentina, Chile, and Venezuela. You said you want to be the leader in Latin America. You don't have Mexico and Brazil. You have nothing. Oh, So go back home, open Mexico and Brazil and call me. So he acquired the biggest company in Mexico, the leader in Mexico, that it was me. He acquired the leader company in Brazil. And the week after we signed, we, the three of us flew to New York and said, now you have all the five countries. Now we're the leader in Latin America. And JP Morgan helped us raise around $53 million. Back 1999, 
$53 million in Latin America was crazy. Yeah. Um, we had JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Intel, Microsoft, uh, like amazing partners. It was uh, Chase. Um, so we raised $53 million and then grew it. At that moment, we we're around 100 employees within the three companies. By the time we sold it a year later, we were 1,200 employees operating wow. in nine countries. We had opened five brokerage houses and three banks. Wow. Two years. That's crazy. So, so when he when you did, was it a merger essentially? So it was it was an acquisition. Uh, we got paid with stock, um, okay. so we did well there. Uh, but it was really an acquisition. He, he his company was bigger, and the way he negotiated. And by the way, I was twenty six at the time. I had no idea. If I knew what I knew today, I would have negotiated way different. Uh, okay. But what I tell Wentz is, and I'm really thankful to him. He helped us very, very young, be able to see growth and understanding big companies and tech and, and venture capital really, really young. Um, so by the time I was 30, I would, had already seen all the drama of scaling a company to 1,200 employees. Venture capital, raise money, due diligence. Like we went through really, really rough things. Um, yeah. Today, we see it as normal. Back then was not normal. Yeah. So there was no venture capital fund in the country. In Mexico, there was no VC. Really? I opened the first angel investor fund in the country in 2000. We got the money from the acquisition, and my investor said, don't give me the money. The internet's just starting. Keep it and invest it. So we built a fund and continue investing. Uh, that was 2000. We were the first ever angel fund in the country. Wow. So it, was, it was very young. We had a good uh, startup or growth. And then I said, now I prove myself in Mexico. Now I want to do business around the world international. And by the way, Patagon really opened my mind to the world. I really started seeing things very, very different uh, before than after. And I said, I, it's easier to make a, a bigger business and international business from the US than from Mexico. So I moved to Austin. So first I travel. I did a, a one year around the world tour with my wife. So I, when I left, I, I left pretty sudden. Um, uh, there was a big issue in the company, and I said, I'm not in favor of moving there after two years of working in the company. And they said, well, if you don't like it, you should resign. And I said, great, give me all my, pay me my stock options, I'm out. So one day I came home and said, I just resigned. I have wow. money in the bank. We have no kids. Let's travel the world. Yeah, do it. I, I was like, you're crazy. And I was like... Like, what are we going to do? We, we Like, let's do it now. Yeah, that's awesome. So my wife said, let's put the house for rent. And if we're rented, then we'll go. Week, in a week, the house was on the market. First day it was on the market, got rented by a Nestle executive. They paid us in dollars. And we said, we're out. And um, we traveled the world for a year, went to Babson. I did my MBA in Babson for a year. Mm -hmm. And then came to Austin, uh, 2004, summer 2004. Where did you go when you traveled for that year? So we first flew to Australia. So we bought the round-the-world ticket of United, you know this, I don't yeah, know yeah. the name of the alliance. Um, and you, you could do six stops around the world. So the first stop was Sydney, and we spent like three months in Australia. We saw all Australia. Uh, we had a, a, a lot of time there. And then from there, we flew to Singapore, uh, and then we saw all Southeast Asia. We went to Cambodia, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, all that. And then we flew to South Africa. And we were in South Africa for a month or so. 
And then we went to Europe. We landed in France. And then we took a car and do like a two-month driving tour all Europe. Wow. And then back into Boston. Oh, man. Um, so shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. I always had a dream of selling my first company and doing that, and then my first company imploded. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got very lucky. My first one was a success. My second one, yeah, which but, yeah. but we it was we were very young, no kids. It was the best time. So my wife and I, we got married. We had our daughter five years, almost six years after we got married. Wow. Okay. Because within Patagon, that I was really busy, and then traveling, and then the MBA, we wanted to wait. How did you like Babson? I mean, they have an awesome entrepreneurial program there. So Babson, it's great. I, I really like the school. Uh, great entrepreneurial program. 
But I have to say that even back then, and by the way, today is very different from when I went. It's been like 20 years, number one for entrepreneurship. So it was right. already number one when I went there. Right. But entrepreneurship was not as hot as it is today. So Babson said, hey, we still have to have, um, uh, you know, the, all the ranking and, and the amount of people employed after three months and all these things they have to do to be on the ranks. So they promoted what they said, entrepreneurial mindset, and they still help uh, a lot of the uh, graduates to get jobs. Uh, and it was all about entrepreneurial mindset. If you go back today, a lot of us now were business owners. Right. But back then they didn't promote that. And I was I was very against it. Um, I used to, I remember I, I had a, a big discussion with the dean because you join whenever you open the door in Babson. The first door on the right, the first office, beautiful windows, whatever, is a recruiting office. And then when I asked where's the incubator, it was in the basement, no windows. Wow. Oh, guys, come on, this is not right. <laughs> like yeah. if you were in the entrepreneurial school, we need to have the penthouse to be the incubator, right? Yeah. But not in the basement. So yeah. I had a really rough discussion with the with the dean. After I joined, I I, I was offended that the yeah. incubator was on the basement. And went to a dean and had a really long conversation, like a three-hour conversation about it. Well, that is offensive, but but it does. It, you're making a really good point, which was this is the world of entrepreneurship 20 years ago. It's way different than now. I I, I said that to a friend of mine when I when I went to. So we we both what we have in common is that we both did birthing a giants, uh, which is Vern Harnish's program through MIT. When I when I went there, I was 26 years old when I went there. Or yeah, twenty yeah, two thousand six. I'm sorry, I was twenty seven years old. So I was twenty seven years old. I go there, and I stood up and I made my introduction. I said, you know, I'm the only person I know who has a hundred employees who's twenty seven years old. You know? <laughs> and I'm the only person I know who's an entrepreneur. And I and here's the kicker, Daniel. I lived in San Francisco. Like which which like you wouldn't believe someone if they said that now. Oh, there's tons of twenty seven year old CEOs there now. I mean, they don't have maybe have they're all startups, right? But back then, this is sixteen years ago. It was not normal. It's not like it is now. When I applied to Vertigo Giants, was named back then. I had in the organization. I was the CEO of the Mexican and Central American operation. I had two hundred employees. We were twelve hundred in the company, and it, it was rough. Um, we, we had no idea what is to be a leader and all the oh. things that we have today. And entrepreneurship was not very well seen back then. Right. No. If you were an entrepreneur, it's because you couldn't get a job anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. That's why I became an entrepreneur because I because no one wanted to hire me. But I was I was pretty unhirable. I I I was super opinionated. I didn't want to be told what to do, and I wanted to express my ideas. I I remember I had a job. I had a job. Uh, I got a temp because I had to make money. And you know, you, normally when you start as an entrepreneur, you don't make any money. So so I would always have these jobs while I was trying to do entrepreneurial stuff. And I remember I had this uh, temp job at a company that was what they would do is they would lease cell towers on top of like houses and mountains and stuff. And the CEO, I was like, I was doing like bookkeeping. I go in and it's like a two week job and I do it in like two days. So I was, you know, I'm kicking ass. And, and the wife and, and the husband were like, man, you're really good. You know, like, do you want a job with us? And I said, yeah, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to mirror. I just want to work next to the CEO. I want to be like your right hand. And he's like, no, you can't do that. You got to go be a salesperson. I'm like, I don't want to be a salesperson. I want, I want to be a CEO. <laughs> I was 21 years old. 
you know? And the guy was like, yeah, no, you got to be a salesperson. I'm like, no, I want to be your right-hand person, man. I want to like just be next to you though because I knew I wanted to run my own business. So it's, it's funny, man. Hey, gang, Darius Mishaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled out my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my Scale My Method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius, Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix, they simplify, and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time-consuming for a busy CEO like you and for my, like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. So you went to Babson, get out, and and from there, how how did that lead to you getting into the mortgage business? I mean, that's that's was that so came there were two big trends in the U.S. back then. And by the way, I used Babson to design my next company. Oh, okay, uh, and that, my full year, I did want to, I do want to have a, a degree in the U.S. and all that, really understand. And by the way, this is interesting. When I had when I was the CEO at Patagon, Mexico. I hired a lot of MBAs from Harvard and Stanford and MIT. And because they were the brightest kids in Mexico that had gone to these MBAs and they wanted to work for the hottest company in town. And it was my company. So I I was hiring all these guys and they used all this jargon and did presentations that I had no idea. And I felt really, really bad that these employees knew more than me in these kind of things. So I went to go to business school to kind of understand that. Right. And yes, check. Not that great, not that important, but fine. But there were two big trends back then. 
uh, first trend was Hispanics. Uh, I don't know if you remember the first time that the U.S. business community really understand the impact of Hispanics was on the census of the 2000s. And it was all about serving the Hispanic community. They realized the purchasing power was really, really big. And the second trend was home ownership. That's what created the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Cisneros, Hispanic, by the way, he was the, the secretary of HUD, the Housing and Urban Development. And he had a mandate from the president to increase home ownership. That's right. And there was like a 3% increase of home ownership in the US or whatever. And of course, Hispanics were, were the least ownership of housing in the US. So I opened a mortgage bank to help Hispanics uh, buy homes. And through a friend of mine in San Diego, he's a Mexican friend in San Diego, being, being in the US for many, many years, he got a line of credit from Goldman Sachs, $500 million to do homes uh, or mortgages for undocumented Hispanics. So my friend calls me and said, hey, I'm negotiating this deal. Do you want to be my partner in, in Texas? And I was like, of course, I want to represent you in Texas. So I was the only one in Central Texas with this contract. And we we're doing a lot of loans, 60, 80 loans a month. Uh, we were giving loans to undocumented Hispanics. That was unknown. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Yeah. And 2007, uh, around summer 2007, we got a call and said, no more. Yeah, yeah. First, like, week, first week of August. I rem- right. Yeah, it ruined my life. So, <laughs> I, I got so, the same call, by the way. Remember when New Century went under? Yeah. But by the way, when people see uh, when people see the, the movie, uh, The Big Short, yep. that's when it starts, right? That they, oh, yeah. these kids are in the basement in their house or the garage, and they see New Century going under. Yep. So when New Century went under, the industry changed, and Goldman tried to see appetite in the market to flip the portfolio there was no appetite in the market yeah and by the way they called me and said hey no more and by the way the guy that you closed yesterday we were not going to be able to fund it so go and get him out i had to go and rent a a truck and move a guy out of his house oh my god they had moved the day before um so i had 120 employees i had a mortgage company i had a title company the only Hispanic title company in the state. I had a insurance thing, whatever. And one day we had to shut everything down. Oh, it was rough. So we had two options. Or we change the name and everything to the AAA market, let's say. Uh, or we shut it down. And we decided to shut it down. Because our passion, our why, was to help Hispanics buy houses. If we couldn't do that anymore, our why was done. So you guys were doing foreign national lending. Was that a big part of what you're doing? Or? It was, yes, but it, but it was but it was really for Hispanics in the U.S. Yeah. And interestingly, so so I'll, I'll give you a why it was hit so hard. The, there was a clause in the contract that you need to declare taxes for two years. So what what Goldman said in their analysis is the U.S. is not going to be able to fire all the Hispanics out, right? All the undocumented. They're going to have to say, hey, from here below, you're going to get out. From here up, we're going to make you a citizen. And what they believed is that if you had U.S. kids or kids born in the U.S. and you pay taxes, even if you're undocumented, you were someone that you should stay in the country. Sure. So that's what we try to prove that they pay taxes. So sometimes I got people that haven't paid taxes, and I said, could not give you a loan 
until you start paying taxes. But that took me two years of paying taxes. So I had a rent-to-own company that I purchased the house, rented to them for two years, and then helped them get a loan and then send them back. So by the time when we when we had to shut down, I had over a hundred houses in the portfolio, and my houses went down 30%, 40%. Oh, so you guys had a uh, so you owned a bunch of houses for a bunch of you... Wow. And a lot of my clients have problems and the houses was empty. Indeed, one day I was in my office and I got a white envelope on the mail, a letter. I opened the letter and was one key. My husband got deported to Mexico. I could not pay the house anymore. Here's your key. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> man. So, you, so, 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 yeah. So, you, you guys, the mortgage company, you know, was obviously one negative, but you owned all these assets. I have over 100 houses back then. And I, at one point, I had over 50%. Uh, vacancy. Wow. So we got really hit. It, it was bad. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's painful. So the business obviously couldn't withstand that, I would that's assume. Correct. That's correct. And so you guys end up closing that business down. That's correct. I'm sorry to hear that, man. I, I dealt with a different version of that, but the same outcome. I closed the <laughs> business down. I, I, um, I, I lost all my capital that I have made in Patron. I, I ended with a million dollars in debt. Wow. Um, and then my visa was attached to the business. So I came home after I shut everything down. I said, hey, I shut everything down. By the way, I lost everything. By the way, I have a million dollars in debt. And by the way, we have two weeks to get out of the country. Oh, my God. And your wife's like, I love you, honey. <laughs> Believe me, that's the least word that she thought about telling me that. Day. Yeah, no. So, so what happened? So at that moment, I, I had a really rough moment. Um, and I was preparing to leave the country. And I got a friend uh, in the industry, Hispanic in Dallas. And the guy just raised $500 million to acquire real estate assets. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, there's a meltdown, and you're, how do you raise $500 million? And his thesis, his thesis was amazing. He said, I'm going to buy great properties from trouble investors and owners. There's a lot of investors that went too wide buying properties. Right. And when there's a liquidity issue, they have to sell some properties to save the rest. Right. What property you sell first? You have to sell your best asset oh. to save your worst assets. Wow. Because if you need cash, if you put a bad asset in the market, no one's going to buy it. Right. You have to put your best asset in the market so you could get cash fast. Oh, wow. So he said, we're just going to look for investors and owners uh, of real estate assets that get in trouble and will going to buy their best assets. Wow. And the guy has done up to now probably like six or seven billion in acquisition. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like he did really well. He did really well. <laughs> really well. I want to be that guy. When the guy's a billionaire today. Yeah, good for so him. So he called me and said, hey, you know Texas really, really well. I need someone to help me build this. I'll pay you a good salary. Can you do it? And I was like, can you give me a visa? And the guy said, of course. So I extended my visa in his business and stayed for a year and a half more uh, working for him. And after that, it was really time for me to go back to Mexico. I needed to go back to Mexico. I really need to go back to family and stuff. Um, so I went back. And I went back and started consulting with, with Vern uh, scaling up. So I, I had a job, a day job in a company. And on the weekends, I was coaching entrepreneurs. So interestingly, what Vern called me and said, hey, are you gonna, can you become a coach? And I was like, no, I don't trust myself to be an entrepreneur today. And now you want me to coach someone else. 
And the guy said, that's precisely why. And I said, no, I just can't do it. And they said, how are you going to pay the million dollars that you owe? And I said, I have no idea. I'm just thinking about how to get money to pay for my kids' school and food. And he said, why don't you coach on the weekends? And all the money you make from coaching, you pay down your debt. I said, sounds like a plan. So I started doing that. And six months into it, I was making more money on the weekends than my day job. Nice. So I resigned and became a scaling up full-time coach. And that's why I came back to the U.S. Um, I was traveling all over Latin America every week. And from Mexico, I could travel every week, but it was the same to do it from Austin. And my wife really liked the life here, so we came back to Austin. What what year? What, so what year did you guys move back to Austin? So I, I went to Mexico 2009, complete, and until summer 2010. And then we came back summer 2010. Okay. Now that's a great time to come to Austin. The market, yeah. everything was going crazy here. It was, it was, the, the craziness started then. Yeah. 2004, when I came for the first time, it was nothing. No. So you're from Austin. You understand Congress Avenue. My first office was in Congress Avenue. And the landlord said, if you sign a five-year lease, I'll give you two years rent-free. Oh, my God. Wow. That's, so, that's like 60 bucks a foot there now. Maybe more. It may be more. I had two years rent-free. I just paid for comps uh, for the first two years. And then I paid a market rate. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, so, so how did that, so, so you're working with, with Vern doing the scaling up coaching and then how did the idea come to, to build growth Institute? Cause and that's, then that's the four years thing. after I paid all my debt and I was doing very well financially, but I was traveling a lot. I was the only coach in Latin America back then. Wow. Okay. And I was traveling, seeing all the big family business in Latin America. Um, I was coaching a lot of really big business, 20,000 employees, 20,000 employees, 500 employees or 2000. So it was. It was a lot of really big family businesses, but I was a entrepreneur that was coaching. It's very uncommon, by the way. In the US to see an entrepreneur that it's a coach after is very common. In Latin America, it's not common at all. So I was doing really, really well, but I was traveling 200 nights a year. Well, and yeah. that's when we had our second son. And, and my wife said, hey, if you want to be a dad, you could not travel 200 nights a, a year. Uh, no. So I went to Vernon and said, hey, Vernon, I need to become, I'm, I'm going to become an entrepreneur again. I need to stop doing this or at least decrease it. I need to be home. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I want to do online what I do. I really love it. I just want to turn it online. And he said, I'll do it with you. I'll put money. Let's build it. And that's what Growth Institute started. I was planning originally to do it just to, for Spanish. That's where I have a center of influence. And Vern said, no, let's do it worldwide. And I said, I would love to do it worldwide. But I'm I'm not a brand worldwide. Back then I was I was known in 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 Latin America I was very well known, in, in the U.S. or around the world was not. And Vern said, "But that's me." So yeah, he's like he's like I, I got that taken care of. <laughs> he said, "I'll do that. You'll do the operation, right? And 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 we'll gonna be perfect." And I was like, "Great." So for listeners that don't know, let's explain what Growth Institute is, and then we'll 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 talk about your book for a minute, and then we'll for me the MIT program has been the best business education I've ever been. And EO and YPO have been great. My problem is that every time I go to EO and YPO training, I learn a lot, but then I have to teach my team and lead the implementation because I'm the one that knows the most. We said, that has to stop. You need to be able to take access or have access to all these amazing thought leaders and courses, but you to be able to come with your team to take the class together and then implement. And that's exactly what we did. So we brought 
Vern Harnish uh, to start, but then top grading and then with uh, with Brad Smart and then Salim Ismail from Singularity University and all these amazing thought leaders that most mid-market companies, we can't afford them. They're just too expensive. And if we could afford them, just the CEO goes to a training. Right. You could not take the rest of your team. We made it in a price and format that makes sense for you to come with all your and And we have classes that usually you come five, six, 10. Indeed, we had 30 people from the same company coming through a class together. And they all going through the program. And then when you finish the class, your team implements without you. So the CEOs really like working with growth institute and coming to class with their employees or their team because they agree on what they're going to do. They have right. the same mindset and, and, and wording, and then they go and implement on their own uh, without the CEO. Uh, and yeah. that really liberates you. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I, I love Growth Institute. How many thought leaders do you guys have on there? Uh, like 85, 87 uh, yeah. today. Uh, I'm the Tom Peters, Salim, Peter Diamandis, like amazing thought leaders. And um, we have trained uh, 55,000 executives from 11,000 different companies in 70 countries around the world. Oh, man. Well, shoot, we're running out of time. I know you got to run. Um, can you be one minute late to your meeting? Yes. Or do you got. Yes, okay. one so, so I, I know I don't like to make people late for their meetings. I knew we were going to run over. <laughs> so, um, Impact X is coming out. This is uh, this is around the learnings from working with all these CEOs over the year and how the best CEOs have 10x the impact with half the drama. Um, I know that you've offered to give our listeners uh, there's some free uh, downloads at DanielMarcos.co forward slash slides. We'll put that in the show notes, but do you want to give a quick one minute blurb on that? Yeah, and by the we'll... way, just let know my, my next call that I was going to be there five minutes late. Okay. Okay. Just, perfect. Yeah. Let's so let, we have a couple more minutes. I'll get you out of here in, in four minutes. Um, so here, here's, here's impact text and what it is. Uh, I've been a CEO for 23 years and I've been learning a lot of tools, all these books and the ones down here and everything. And I've learned there's, like I've been building kind of my CEO model. And you, you were telling me that before the, that you said, I got a little bit of scaling up, a little bit of upgrading, a little bit, and I built my own model. Same thing, right? So I've been, I've been building a CEO model myself for the last 23 years, and that's what I use today. So I am proposing how to build a CEO system to be a better CEO. And let me, let me take a minute here that it's important. Today, I go to companies and say, hey, show me your systems. And they show me their accounting system, production system, customer support system, all these systems. And I said, show me your CEO system. <laughs> they said, what do you mean? How do you run a CEO? Like, you have systems and processes for everything. Right. Except how you run the company, how you become a leader. So I'm proposing a CEO system that I've been teaching CEOs for the last 10 years on how to be 10 times more productive with half the drama. Oh, and and for me, the drama is really important. Um, uh, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs that they have the typical roller coaster. Right. Uh, it's I, I prefer a stable business, all that. So that's what we do. We help entrepreneurs implement all the systems and processes to be able to, for the CEO to run the company better and reduce drama and, and, um, and ups and downs so they can really enjoy the ride and have a better family life. 
So what, what, what might be an example of that? Because I, I mean, I think listeners know that I, I talk about scale systems, whether you're using, you know, scaling up or, you know, what, what we do or, you know, the, the, that's going to be for the team and for the company and the rhythms and the huddles and all those things and building the stra- strategic one page strategic plan. But how do you do when you say system for the CEO, just give us like a 60 second idea of that. What that so means. first I break it down in three areas. People say I want to build a great business. And I was like, you could not build a great business. You could build a great team, and the team will build a great business. Right. And then for you to build a great team, you have to be a better leader or a great leader. Yeah. So I divide in leader, team, and company, right? And then I believe there's four stages in the growth, and that's why people like this get the slides, because there's like a startup, growth, scale-up, and then you dominate your industry. So I give you 12 tools per stage, four for you, four for your team, four for your company, on when to do it. As an example, Darius, your book is uh, recommended in my book. I recommend 48 tools, 12 per stage. And one's the stage that you have to write your core values. Yeah, for early. Me, it's, it's stage two, when you have right. between six to 15 employees. That's when you have to start doing culture by design. Right. And I recommend your book, and I tell okay. about the importance of writing uh, your core values, and I recommend your model, Right. So every stage, I tell you what you have to do and what's the right stage. As an example, scaling up. People read scaling up and they implement scaling up no matter what stage there are. Right. No. Later. In stage one, just write your one-page plan. Right. I want you to have clarity of the impact, core values, brand promise, all these kind of things, right? Write your one-page plan. I don't want to get into a rhythm of meetings. You don't need that. That's no. not the right thing. That starts in stage two. So I said, okay, Depending on where you are, this is what you have to do. And I prioritize where it's important based on where you are. Oh, that's great. Um, as an example, for the entrepreneur, I, I recommend your tribe. One, one of the things I recommend on the personal side is tribe. Tribe in stage one, it's probably mentors, people that have been there, right? Right. Stage two, you start getting more peers. And that's right. when you enter EO. Right. When you're doing around a million. And then stage three, you're more talking about investors and international groups and like your peer or your, let's say the network that you have to build is has to evolve depending on where you are. So what I try to do is divide the stages. How do you have to evolve from entrepreneur to CEO and what are the right tools you have to implement in each of the stages? Oh man, I'm, uh, th- this book needs, needs to come out. This is such a, such a, such a great, great, Idea. I recommend the 48 books and methodologies that I use the most around my company. Oh, I love it, man. And I love that I'm one of the books. <laughs> when, I, uh, when we talk about core values, it's all yeah. about you. Yeah, totally, man. Gosh, I'm, I, we could go for another hour. I know you've got to run. So, so guys, we're putting uh, Impact X, how the best CEOs have 10x the impact with half the drama. You can also check out Daniel at the Growth Institute. Uh, that's growthinstitute.com. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so growthinstitute.com. It's an amazing, amazing um, uh, site and tools there. Uh, Go to danielmarcos.co forward slash slides to learn more about the book. It's coming out this fall. And man, I'm so so excited to see you this weekend and at GOT. And I'm so excited for the book, man. Daniel, thank you so much, my friend. That is always a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. We'll we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out, everybody. We love you. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, 
If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.